Well, it is good to be with you. Thank you for joining us online, whether you're here in the Bay Area or somewhere else around the country or in, an, in another country. We are so glad that you would choose to be with us today. My name is Cheryl. I'm part of the staff at Menlo Church, and we're in a series on relationships. Uh, because we have a God who is a relational God. We have a God who created us for relationships. And we felt that so deeply, so profoundly in this year, right? We believe that this series has the potential to change us and transform us. If you weren't with us last weekend, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Eugene's message on resolving conflict. It was so good. It was so helpful. It was so practical. We've entitled this series, I Love You, But You're Driving Me Nuts, right? I live by myself. I do have a golden retriever. Uh, (laughs) So when it comes to conflict and some of those kind of things, especially in this season, I can feel like I am killing it. I am winning, right? I mean, I have a golden retriever, as I mentioned, and golden retrievers are bred for one purpose, and that is to build our self-esteem. A golden retriever... They only know a few words, and those words are, with their eyes, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's what I get every single day. And then feed me. But I do have relationships with humans. I, like you, many of us who live alone, uh, you still have relationships with humans. Uh, I'm on Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call with coworkers and bosses and direct reports uh, all week long, right? I'm thankful that I have family that I've been able to spend time with even in this season. I have friends that I've been able to spend time with as well, even in this season, of course, safe and all that kind of thing. But I've gotten to spend time with people and even these people who I love and I enjoy, they can drive me nuts. And that's probably true for you as well, right? It's the spouse who doesn't seem to be able to encourage or give words of affirmation. It's a roommate who is just straight up a mess or really, really messy. Maybe it's a parent who is harsh or it's a child who has perfected that adolescent eye roll and they're only four, right? It's the friend who seems to only take and not give. We have people in our lives that we love, and yet they can drive us nuts. But I learned something in kindergarten, and maybe you did too. It's that old adage that as I'm pointing the finger at those folks who are driving me nuts, there are three fingers pointing back at me. Because in every relationship, I have one common denominator, and it's me. I'm in that relationship, right? One author said it a little bit, maybe more articulately, more profoundly than the kindergarten adage. One author said it this way. They said that our tendency is to judge others by their behavior and ourselves by our intent, right? We do that. We judge others by their behavior, but ourselves by our intent. I didn't mean to. That's not what I was saying. Um, uh, I was just trying to help. And I'm a Christian. 
and I follow a God, Jesus, who has an ethic, and that ethic is love. Everything in the scripture, all the teachings of Jesus can be summed up in love. And so I have a temptation, I have a tendency to look at all of them out there. Have you ever done this? Where you've looked at other Christians and you've said, how can they call themselves Christians? Because they, they spew hatred. They are so arrogant. What is it with them and their hypocrisy, right? But again, as I'm waving that one finger, there are three pointing back at me. Because I know my reality is, as a Christian, I can still show up with impatience, with lack of kindness, with the desire to control. I can be sarcastic. I hate to admit this, but I... I can gossip. I can bring envy and comparison and competition to my relationships. I can withhold. I can withdraw. I can blame. I can do all of those things, and I want to change. How about you? Do you want to change? Do you want to be different? I trust that you do because we're here and we're leaning in and we're asking the questions. And the question we ask in this setting, in this environment is, what does God bring to us? How does God help us change? There are so many ways that God helps us. Certainly, God helps us and has helped me through the care of a good therapist, right? Medication, I believe, is a gift from God. I think that the behavioral scientists who have helped us lean in and understand how family of origin can affect us or the impact of abuse or trauma, those are things that are from God. Many of us have benefited from the researcher and author Brene Brown, right? And her teachings on the impact of shame and the power of vulnerability. I have friends who have done the work, the hard work of AA, the hard work of Al-Anon, and it has transformed their relationships. These are gifts from God. But what I want to lean into today is the question of what does the Bible say? What what does the Bible say about how God might uniquely help those who have attached themselves to Jesus? What is God doing for those of us who have said, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to be different. Well, we're going to look at that in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible on your phone or a physical thing, you can pull that out. We'll also have it on the screens. But we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to, we're going to discover a few things. 
I want to discover what is the gift that God gives us for change. And then I want to talk about what's the process of Christian growth. And then we'll make some practical application. What do we, what do, we do with all of this? So let me pray, and we're going to dive into Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Father, we come and we just ask by your spirit, by your word, would you instruct us not just for greater knowledge, but for changed lives, for changed relationships? Oh, we pray that you would do a work in us even now that we might look more and more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 5 says this, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. The invitation of following Jesus is an invitation of freedom. And in the context of Galatians, it's telling us that we have been set free from a religiosity. We've been set free from religious performance and striving and outward symbols. And God has come to do a work inside of us to give us freedom in all that we do in all of our relationships He says this, he goes on, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourselves. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's so true. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. Now it's starting to get real personal. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying, because of course he's putting out there, the sinful nature produces in us not just actions, but attitudes. He has a list of actions, but also attitudes. Envy. Who is not guilty of that? But he's saying, these things will keep you from the kingdom of God, except, and this is context of the whole book of Galatians, by the work of God through Jesus Christ, he's made a way and he's going to give you something different. And that's what he's going to say. The acts of the sinful nature are these, and then verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
those who belong to Jesus Christ, those who have attached themselves to Jesus, by his grace, by his work, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful, the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What is the gift that God gives us? The gift that he gives us is a renewed heart. And where do I see that in this passage? You see, Paul is contrasting the spirit with the sinful nature, right? In verse 17, he says that the spirit and the sinful nature are in conflict with each other. And one commentator, and actually multiple commentators say this, that it's most accurate to think of the spirit here in this passage as the renewed Christian heart made new by God, the Holy Spirit. You see, there are other places where Paul speaks to this. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter five, he says that if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has attached themselves to Jesus, they are a new creation. They've been made new. You've been made new. I've been made new. In another place in Ephesians, he he contrasts, rather than using the language of spirit and sinful nature, he contrasts the old self and the new self. One of the beautiful gifts, the thing that God does for us is he gives us a new self, a renewed heart, a changed identity. Our identity is now wrapped up in him It's determined by him. And he's doing a work to grow that heart, to change that heart, to change that self. And that's where we come to our second point. The gift of God is this renewed heart and the process of renewing that heart, the the process of making that new life look more and more like him. He gives a metaphor that tells us that it's organic. It's the metaphor that he chooses. Paul, I think, intentionally chooses the metaphor of fruit because earlier he says the acts of the spirit. Well, he could have said the acts, or the acts of, the, of the sinful nature. He could have said the acts of the spirit, but he chose to say, no, no, the fruit of the spirit. He mixed his metaphors, if you will, right? Not the work of but the fruit of. And so there's some things to glean from that. The fact that he uses this botanical kind of farming illustration tells us something. And I think it tells us this. I think it tells us that the process of Christian growth, the process of Christian growth is gradual. It's gradual. Growth and change are typically slow, and mostly unseen, right? That's good news. Christian growth is gradual. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others. Don't fight against the seasons, right? For many plants, it's, it's, it's 
normal for them that during winter they go dormant, right? For a perennial plant, they go dormant. And so I'm not a farmer, so I did a little uh, research and this is what I learned. Dormancy is a plant's state of temporary and minimal activity, right? And I thought, that's really good. (laughs) That plants go dormant, (laughs) they're, they're, their activity reduces so they can grow. And I would say this, for us to grow in our relationships, we need rest. Nobody does relationships well when they are tired, right? When we're tired, what we do is we revert back to the things that have worked for us, whether they have Um, hurt and wounded others, when we're weary, when we're under stress, when we're in anxiety, we will revert back to what we feel like has worked. And sometimes the things that have worked are anger, impatience, control. We need rest to grow. Dormancy is crucial for so many plants. But I would say this, Rest is imperative for all humans. We have to rest. That's why God gives us Sabbath and creates us. I've always thought this was interesting. Why do we need to sleep? I'm an activator, I'm a goer, I'm a doer. But God knows we need rest and it transforms our relationships and it helps us to grow. The other thing that I see in this metaphor of fruit is that the process of Christian growth is inevitable. I love that. I love that Paul doesn't say, and you might, the fruit of the Spirit might be if you do these 10 things. No, he just says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of one attached to Jesus is It is inevitable. It's going to grow. You're going to grow. Author and pastor Tim Keller tells a story. He tells the story of a man, true story, of a man who died hundreds of years ago. This is in Europe. And he died and he was buried and a marble slab was put over his grave. But a acorn, a little tiny acorn, had gotten into his uh, casket or into his gravesite. And years and years later, that little tiny acorn grew into a tree that cracked that marble. We've seen it when we go hiking around here, right? That tree that's growing out of a big rock and it's just cracked it down the middle. And what Keller suggests is he's saying nobody would have bet on the acorn, right? (laughs) When you think about strength, you'd bet on the marble slab. Keller says, but if someone has the spirit in them, if they are a Christian, the fruit will grow. The fruit of the spirit will burst through them. This spirit will break the hardest of hearts. And that's good news. The process of Christian growth is gradual. The process is inevitable. And the product or the produce, if you want to say it that way, of Christian growth is wholeness, right? 
It's really interesting that in this passage, Paul doesn't say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's important because here's the reality is, you might be a really joyful person. You might be... um, you, you might be joyful because of your family. You're, you just grew up in a joyful family. It might be because of your Myers-Briggs-ness. It might be because your Enneagram number. I don't know. But you might be super joyful, but you might not have self-control. You might be a person who is, is really faithful. The language in, uh, in this passage of faithful, that the fruit of the Spirit is fruit is faithful. You might be a person who's really faithful. That language is reliable, courageous. But you might not be very kind. <laughs> right? We can have these characteristics, but what God is birthing in us through his Spirit is wholeness. The fruit of the Spirit, these characteristics are conjoined. They always go together. Here's, we could go on and on about this, and I would actually encourage you to sit with this thought for a while. Because I think what Paul is saying is that love, true love, is always patient, kind, It's full of peace. It has joy. There's self-control. These characteristics rely on one another. There's a wholeness to them. Joy is not true joy if there is not peace, if there is not patience, if there is not self-control. This is what God gives us to help us to change. He gives us a renewed heart. He gives us the spirit gradually, inevitably producing a wholeness in us that looks like the fruit of the spirit. So what do we do with this? What, 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 where do we lean in? What, what's some practical application? Let me suggest a couple. One is we all need relationships that are Jesus-focused. We all need other people who are pursuing Jesus with us, doing it together. So I know Eugene said this last week, and I'm gonna say it again, but we, we need relationships like a life group. That's what we call them here at Menlo Church. Because a life group is a group of people helping one another find and follow Jesus so that Jesus can be formed in us, so that we can talk about our weaknesses and our gaps. We can talk about where we wanna change and we can open the scripture together and pray together. And so for a minute, just a minute, I want you to hear from some people who are in life groups, even during this time of of COVID and, and they're online, but they're benefiting from being together. Let's take a minute and listen to some of them. This experience of being in a life group and having the warmth and support of everyone around me has really um, strengthened my bond with Christ. And have a place that we could come and 
really put our focus where it should be was really encouraging and helpful. You know, we share laughter, we share joys and experiences and, and the positive things. And we also support each other through hardships, through challenges. The feeling of, of being part of something big and, and, and not alone and uh, connected to something beyond every Sunday has done a lot for me. I really didn't know what, what to expect and I came in and it was like, oh my goodness, God bless you this amazing group of people. They reminded me, A, they were there, and B, that God was there too, to just give me that courage and support. You really don't appreciate that until you're you're, you're falling and, and you're going through hardship and then you realize your life group is there and support you. Doing that with people, it's really far more valuable than doing it on your own. I always appreciate it that there's, there's a group of people that are checking in and it was amazing to see the relationships that had already been built. People who'd never even met each other in person in those cases. We welcomed into the group with open arms. We're there for each other. Like whatever, good, bad, ugly, happy, sad. So I love that about this group. So we're going to keep repeating that you need to be, or I don't know, I don't want to say shoulds. I don't want to should on you, but uh, it would be good for you to be in a life group. Another thing that we offer here at Menlo Church is we have a thing called Stephen's Ministry. And it's people who have been trained to listen. And if you just need somebody to listen, they're not professional counselors, but they're trained. And they've gone through the Stephen's Ministry training and they would be great people to listen, to maybe give some counsel, to give some wisdom, but again, mostly just to be there for you. And we'd love to connect you with one of our Stevens ministry people. So join a community, get connected to other people who are pursuing the Jesus way, right? And then the next thing is, I would just say, this is the last thing. I would just say this, cooperate with the Spirit. The language that Paul uses in this passage is not passive, it's active. He says in Galatians, he says, walk by the Spirit. He says, you are led by the Spirit. He says, live by the Spirit. And what does that mean? What does the Scripture tell us about what the Spirit does? Well, one of the things that the Scripture tells us is that the Spirit illuminates the Scripture. It helps us to understand it. It helps us to, to recognize what God is trying to speak to us. So saturate yourself in the scripture and pray prayers from the scripture, from the Bible. Pray prayers like this that say, God, who do you want me to love today? How do you want me to love today? You see, living by myself at times, I can spiral into some self-pity in the loneliness I know some of you are saying that you live in a crowd and you can spiral into self-pity. And I have found that the moment I begin to take that spiral, I throw up a prayer. God, who would you have me love today? Who could I send a text of encouragement? How do you want me to love today, right? What does the Spirit do? What does it mean to walk with Him and, and, and be in step with Him and be led by Him? The Spirit will also do a work, according to the Scripture, of, of these 
of nudging us, convicting us of what might be wrong. If we are headed in the way away from God, the Spirit will let us know to say no. And the Spirit will let us know to say yes to the things that lead us towards God, right? And the other thing that the Spirit does in the Scripture, to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is always putting Jesus on display. The Spirit glorifies the Son. The Spirit wants us to live live with all of our, our gaze upon him, if you will. Many have said that we all worship, even secular academics have said that, that we all worship something. We all look to something to tell us that, we val- that we're valued, that we matter. And I wanna say this, for us to change in our relationships, for the fruit to grow, we need to worship. We need to set our affections upon Jesus, who is the fullness, the embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus, who we worship, who we set our mind upon. Jesus is love, right? For Jesus demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still in our sin, sin, he died for us. Jesus is joy. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is peace. There's a place in the Bible that says, he isn't just a peace giver, he himself is peace. Jesus is patient. How patient he was with his disciples when they didn't understand. How patient he is with me. How patient he is with you. Jesus is kindness. He heals. He reaches out to touch a leper. He has compassion. Jesus is good. He is perfectly holy. He is perfection. Jesus is faithfulness. All of God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is gentle. He says this of himself. He says, he says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle and lowly. And Jesus is self-control. He demonstrated self-control. When they hung him on a cross, he didn't defend himself. He didn't lash out. But because he is love and because he is joy and peace and patience and self-control and all those things, He stayed on that cross that we might be made whole, that his body would be broken, that our bodies would be transformed, that our hearts would be renewed by the work of his spirit. Oh, we thank you for that today, God. We thank you for that today. And we do worship you, Jesus. And we say, come, Change us, transform us, make us new. Change us in our relationships. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out on us that we might pour it out on others. 
And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.